just so you know, this looks a lot better and will read better than this thing. That's actually a really good impression of yourself. So. This is Design School. Thank you, Ryan, for letting us uh, interview you. We uh, greatly appreciate uh, taking the time on this uh, lovely rainy afternoon uh, mm -hmm. to chat with us a little bit about design and uh, where you got started. Yeah, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. And thanks to Matt for nominating me. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes people respond in a good way to that, and sometimes they're like, well, thanks, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Ryan, um, when we were talking to Matt and he nominated you, we asked him what he would be curious to hear from you. Um, and his question that he wanted to know was, for you, what was your tipping point that made you want to decide to pursue graphic design, knowing that that path wasn't necessarily entirely linear? Yeah, and, and that's actually a very hard thing for me to answer. <laughs> I, I listened to the podcast and I heard this question, so I kind of had some time to think about it. And I think the real moment where I knew that I wasn't going to do what my degree was, per se, was studying abroad. And all the other students were, they were out in the field collecting insects and doing very scientific things with live specimens and, and really getting into it. And I, meanwhile, was doodling in my book drawings of all of these things and getting excited about putting a poster together yeah. and like doing the layout. Yeah. What was your degree in? Um, environmental studies and I got a minor in architecture and I'd kind of been on a path to do green building was what I was interested in I'd worked you know with the EPA and been on this kind of nice little course into lead and a bunch of different things that mm -hmm. was exciting but you know I just started being that guy in class that was putting the poster the presentations adding that special little touch to things to sort of make it ready to go. And I swear, sometimes we got like B quality content and then we had like an A just because our poster looked a little bit better. <laughs> and I was like, maybe I should do this B, professionally. <laughs> B, quality, B quality content, A presentation mm -hmm. for the win. <laughs> I think it does make a difference the, the way that stuff is presented. Wouldn't mm -hmm. you say, would you agree oh, with that? I wholeheartedly agree I couldn't agree more I just because I mean it feels like that's what I'm doing day to day here you know it it's uh, sort of a little bit less glamorous um, than one might assume it's a lot of times taking the work that our teams have done and turning it into something that's just client ready that's mm -hmm. polished and feels like it's coming out of a creative place and so like in that vein you know i definitely think going going to a designer going through design really makes it mm -hmm. i mean it really can take something that can get glanced over to something that you know opens eyes so mm. it's kind of what i like about what i do mm -hmm. tell us what what does a daily routine look like for you um well what's nice about here is that it changes pretty frequently based on the work, but daily routine is um, usually get in and do check-ins, you know, see everybody, see what everybody's working on, and then we sort of break off into our 
individual projects. There's not a ton of times where we're allowed the freedom to be able to collaborate like, all day long or even a portion of the day because we're just busy with our own things. But uh, yeah, I mean, the daily routine for me is really get in here, check in, make sure that everybody's covered, all the projects are covered, and then we try to just crank stuff out. And it's a lot of check-in stuff, and, th and I like that. I like that we're constantly talking to the copywriters, the account teams, the digital strategists, everybody's working together. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I try to turn off the computer at five and go home and keep my sanity. <laughs> so <laughs> that's an important part for me. It's like the balance. And what do you do to keep the balance? Well, I have a one-year-old dog, and so <laughs> she takes up a lot of my time. She's a pit bull, and she's insane. She's, she's, um, like one part maniac, one part completely, um, lethargic. <laughs> like it's either she's going insane or she's sleeping. And those are pretty much the two modes that she has. So I spend a lot of time just dealing with her and keeping her happy, I think. And, uh, beyond that, I, I love to snowboard and be outside and play soccer, mm -hmm. just kind of doing anything that's active because mm -hmm. I think the nature of our work we're doing a lot of sitting <laughs> so mm -hmm. I just try to you know find a way to move around that makes me happy for sure so going back to your story of um, from Matt's question of where that tipping point was you said you started to realize it while you were in school and then coming out of your out of school what was that journey to then getting to where you are now right out of school I ended up working at a nonprofit uh, I had done a capstone project uh, in my senior year. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a year working with a nonprofit doing environmental education, which was pretty closely tied to my degree, right? And I finished that project and immediately got a job as an interim operations director. But that, there was only like six employees. <laughs> so everybody had titles. But we just did a bunch of things just to, you know, keep the lights on, keep it running. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I ended up doing a lot of graphic design. They had hired me, actually, I remember now, right, right after college, they hired me on a contract to do the program for their festival that they host. Um, it was like a, a very small festival in West Seattle. And so I put the program together, and the director was really excited about it, and she hired me on as the interim director. Uh, operations director and so from there I you know I went from sort of unpaid intern to contract designer to interim operations director to full-time operations director the um, the person had been on maternity leave and she came back for a couple months and said you know what I'm gonna go be a mom and we were like okay great Ryan do you want to join the team and I was like yes yes I do uh, and that kind of evolved into more of a marketing communications focus. We didn't have really any presence on the internet at all. The website was like from 1990 something. And this was 2010, 2011. And so I just told the executive director, I was like, can we please, please redo the website? I, I will do it, I'll yeah. do it. I didn't know how to build websites. I just told her I was gonna make one. And I learned WordPress and you know, I got, um, familiar with the creative suite like fully you know 
sort of entranced by everything and got integrated with it all and, and figured out how it all worked together. And then that was it. I was like, this is what I want to be doing. I did this whole journey was like three years long at this nonprofit. And it was great because they gave me like the space and room to really learn all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's no bill codes and all this stuff attached to anything. So I had time to learn and I had time to sort of trial and error everything, which was great. And from there, you know, it was like, okay, what, what do I really like about this job? The design stuff. What do I really not like about this job? Fixing the internet when <laughs> it went down. And so that was where I knew that I needed to focus a little bit more and try to go after a full-time job where my title was graphic designer and I was just doing graphic design. Um, and that's when I kind of made the shift over. Mm -hmm. What did you feel like you needed to make that transition? You'd spent all this time learning and stuff, but was there ever any, anything that was like hesitant in your mind or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I had cold feet. I think I, I took a longer time leaving the nonprofit than I probably wanted to. Like I was probably there a little bit longer than I wanted to be because I was afraid a little bit of putting myself out there with people who were more classically trained, you know, mm -hmm. coming out of design school or coming out of a digital media, you know, program or certificate or anything where they had like um, a firm background. Yeah. And I'm this guy with an environmental studies degree. How does that translate? I didn't have some really great portfolio either. Um, and so I really spent, when I, when I made the decision that I, I was ready to leave, I, I spent a while just developing my work. Fortunately, I think one thing that allowed me to be sort of marketable was that we had one big project at the nonprofit and I was able to use that as a showcase of sort of my skills and who I was able to work with and all the time and energy, sort of this bigger project that was significant and then show that to people and say, hey, check out this, and this is what we did, and you know, talk about it. Yeah. And so once I had that under belt, that gave me just like the sliver of confidence that I needed, I think, to go out there and start applying and talking to people as a designer rather than, I'm this guy that does a lot of things at a nonprofit. Like, I'm yeah. this jack of all trades guy. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that was, the, that was kind of the turning point for me. And I noticed that, um after you left that, you spent one year at a, at a, at a design firm, and then you came in to, um, you start working on your own, and then you came here. What did you learn in each of these areas that you know, has created you to be the designer that you are today? I really feel like I, I kind of learned a particular thing in each of those different jobs. And I've been sort of freelancing, ongoing, mm -hmm. Um, on the side for, for a few years now, for like three or four years. And so uh, in the freelance you know, job, which is still doing that all the time, it seems like, uh, that taught me about how to work with clients, how to talk to people, how to run a business really, you know, how to communicate, you know, this is what I need from you, this is what you'll get from me, work out those relationships and sort of build those over time, which is just so important in the work I do now um, in an agency. Uh, at the nonprofit, I, I learned all sort of the foundational things that I need just to be a designer. And then at Cascade, I really, <laughs> that was the first time where I was working on a team of specialists. And that was so cool 
to be working with somebody who had been a copywriter for 20 years and to be working with another designer who did an entire line of soft good designs and all the packaging and all the merchandising for it and like really owned something mm -hmm. and had all this experience behind them and then could sort of teach me um, or at least allow me to watch. <laughs> yeah. And so it was kind of like having mentors really and they were just really great people and allowed me to be sort of the, the, the newbie, the sort of this sort of greenhorn. And that was cool that they were willing to sort of take a chance on me. Yeah, I was hired as a graphic designer, but they were like, it's more of a production assistant. <laughs> and I was like, that's cool, that's cool, that sounds great. And then I'm back in the back, like cutting out a hundred pieces of packaging mock-ups going, why did I sign up for this? <laughs> <laughs> they got me. But um, yeah, there was definitely something very, very helpful in each of those things that has led me to here. So mm -hmm. it's been kind of cool, I guess, just to sort of reflect on that. Do you see yourself as uh, someone who has taken the path of least resistance or the path that you hoped that you would have taken? When you left school, did you think this is where you would be? <laughs> I didn't, when I left school, I didn't know where I was going. I mean, I was driven to be doing something that I felt good about doing. And I think that was another thing why I stayed at a nonprofit for so long. Because it felt good to be making, you know, it sounds a little cliche, but making an impact. And I really felt because it was like a grassroots local organization that we were, in fact, making a real difference that I could see. You were restoring people's, the backyard of, you know, West Seattle, basically, this amazing green belt. It was so cool to me that, you know, I could talk about it and be like, well, this is what we've actually done. It's really great. Like, we had a really positive, genuine message behind everything we did. Mm -hmm. And so I, I guess I, I missed that a little bit. Um, I didn't really know what it was that I was going to be doing exactly. And that's sort of become clearer and clearer, you know, as the years have passed since I left college. Which is nice, and it kind of sounds like I took the path of least resistance, but I, it, at the same time, I mean, lot and a lot of late nights, a lot of frustration, trying to learn stuff on your own. You know, I don't have because, like in school, I have this huge community of environmental studies people that I know, and if I was in that field, I could tap into these people and say, "Hey, what are you up to? What are you doing?" And you know, all the networking that comes with that, right? And all the it's like a knowledge base, like a huge resource for you. Mm -hmm. It's all these other smart, gifted people doing what you do. And like that's something I really felt like I missed out on, not having a design, you know, education background. And I'm like, you know, I, I know some people. <laughs> I know I know a few, but I, I definitely don't feel like I belong to a large circle of other hyper design focused people. I think that has been the resistance that I've felt just moving forward and moving as quickly as I'd like to move mm -hmm. into the you know different areas but um, I definitely pounced on opportunities that come my way you know as soon as somebody told me that Weber Channel was hiring I was like right there immediately I didn't really think about it uh, I knew it at the very least I wanted to get an interview I wanted to be in the door and so yeah, and, and, and why um, I guess I kind of built like a timeline in my mind of where I wanted to be. And I was like, I'm going to be at the nonprofit for a few years. 
then I'm gonna go be a designer. Like my title is gonna be designer. Like I don't want to be the director of marketing because it means n nothing to me really because I was doing crazy things that had nothing to do with marketing and I didn't know what I was doing sometimes. I wanted to be more focused. And then it was after designer, it was, well, then I want to work at an agency. And then after agency, I want to be, you know, this. And then after that, I, and it's like I kind of have this semi-mapped out thing in my brain and I'm okay with it changing, but you know, if I hit those marks, it's kind of like I can give myself a pat on the back and say, mm. did it. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. I need that. It keeps me focused. I think I can understand that. Uh, how do you feel about that, Chad? Having like a timeline of what you want to achieve? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's always things that come up unexpectedly, like opportunities you wouldn't have thought of. And then sometimes things come along and you do it and then it turns out to be something way different mm -hmm. than you thought it was going to be but it turns out the best right mm -hmm. um yeah i mean so grad school was for me i was not expecting to go to grad school to teach and i think after my first semester i was like wow i really want to do this for the rest of my life and i think it is fascinating to to have some key markers that identify uh success but not be so strict that they are the only form of success. So it's it's good to be flexible. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And keeping and constantly sort of reminding yourself that I think it's flexible and that things can change. And then that allows you to have that moments where you have that revelation. You're like, oh, well, this is actually what I really want to be doing, not this other thing. And that's awesome. That's great. Like you don't have to get hung up on things. Mm -hmm. So. Well, and even just having, like, oh, like, you know you want to be this, and as soon as, like, you know that you want something, it's so easier to imagine, like, the steps of getting there mm -hmm. rather than, you know, coming out of school and being like, I don't know what I want to do yeah. <laughs> type thing. But as soon as you know, then it's like, all right, like, I need to be staying up late nights, like, learning, like, these things and mm -hmm. getting there. And that's what one thing I was curious is, I mean, you said you had a, light, a lot of, like, late nights just, like, pounding away. Um, like what what were those resources that you used to help you learn that you may have felt like help making up for I mean you said like versus learning it in school right you have like that big group of people that often helps like how like what were those resources that you found to help you do that you know YouTube <laughs> <laughs> you know you know it's, it's crazy um, there there are a ton of really great resources out there and a lot of people are willing to give you their advice, mm -hmm. their time for, for free. And I didn't have any money. Um, you know, I know working for a nonprofit sounds glamorous. It sounds like you'd be making the big bucks, but you're not. <laughs> and uh, I just remember, um, you know, when I would run into a problem is when I would start searching and exploring. And like, it didn't start with, with just looking up Photoshop tutorial. It would be like, how do you do this very specific thing that I am trying to do? And that would lead me down the path of, of just getting that one thing done. So I would try to kind of do as much as I could on my own. And then if I ran into some sort of barrier, then it, then it was like, okay, let's turn to the internet and see if the internet has already solved this problem for me. Mm -hmm. And like 99% of the time, the internet has. You know, the internet has something out there will will find it for you um but i guess you know there wasn't like a specific website or or a book 
specifically that I was always turning to. Um, at some of my jobs, we've had subscriptions to different learning services, which are really great. Like we have Linda, a Linda account here. <laughs> I remember like doing a cool Linda video on that and it went through the whole thing. It was great because I had never even opened the program before and that, that was awesome. But yeah, I'd say all my Photoshop and other little tedious things are just like search and destroy situations. Yeah. People, I've had several people that are like, "Yeah, I want to, I want to learn like the Creative Suite." Part of you is like, "Well, that's half the battle," but the other half is like, learning things. It's so much easier if you have like an end goal in mind, so you can learn through like problem solving rather than like what uh, one of my professors right now likes to call like simulated learning. Like you're going through these exercises and learning like A, B, and C, but really then once you start to put it together, you realize like you've just simulated the learning process rather yes. than having to solve those problems and really learning through that process. So that's, that's really great that's example. A, that's articulated so well, too. That's exactly <laughs> what most of the tutorials are online. If you're like, I want to learn Photoshop, and it's like, draw a mask, draw this. Here's a create a layer. You're mm -hmm. like, awesome. I made a circle. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out you don't have to just do that in graphic design usually. Yeah. Now, that brings up an interesting point that I haven't really thought about until this to your your comment chad is mm -hmm. is learning to be a designer on the go or in, in a real world experience better than getting a bfa in design um, or is it is it comparable is it equal so i myself who have two degrees in design chad who is getting a degree in in design are we the same type of people than you who has a degree in environmental studies but has all this extensive experience in the field to do it? What do you think? It's, I mean, I, I listen to some of the other podcasts, obviously, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, it's hard for me to just answer without having that sort of bias in what other people have said. I feel like it's not equal. Um, I wish I had more, uh, more training that was that felt um, that felt like I don't know that felt real. My because I have you know all my experience has like you said just comes from I have a project and I need to accomplish this thing and so. I go through it, and then if I have problems, I just turn to a resource. But I have nothing that says this guy can do it other than my work. So whereas I think someone that comes out of school can say, well, I came out of school, look what I've done, and probably point to a lot of work. I simply just point to my work. I have to let that speak for itself. So I don't know that they're, I don't know that they're equal. I mean, it would. <laughs> but that process you describe is actually quite similar to the majority of, I mean, not all, but the vast majority of the design classes that I've taken, right? You go in, you get some sort of problem or brief or something, and mm -hmm. you go off and you solve that problem and you come back and like you present your work. I think maybe the one different thing that I would see between what you were saying and what that experience usually entails is that feedback loop in the form of critique, like very often. So it's, almost just like that loop of like 
bringing it back and being like, what do you think type mm. thing? And then being able to go and reiterate like with like outside people helping or maybe speeding up that process mm -hmm. in a way. Um, but I mean, other than that, like it seems very similar to the process of what a studio class would look like. I'd love to go back and ask almost the exact same questions to some of the other people. The, the last couple of people that we've interviewed have all been non-designers who have um, come into a design career and have made a good um, good name for themselves because of it. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what, what does that, uh, where should those that are in design or in a design education, where can we help them be successful or to to be on the right path as you all have have been and, and now are in. I don't know yeah <laughs> I was looking at the um, at your website and <laughs> I had a question for you I feel like you know where this is going it just there's so many things that we can talk about <laughs> <laughs> first off it's a very nice website oh, thank you. Uh, it's it's uh, well organized. There are two things that, that strike me uh, from it. That opening page, which is the what looks like the uh, topographical view of your table, mm -hmm. of, of your workspace. Mm -hmm. And then you scroll up and, and what have you. But you have a quote on there. Creativity requires the courage to let go of certainties. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit more about, about that. What is it that you feel you either have the courage or don't have the courage to let go or is this a this is how I've become who I am because I have the courage to let go mm -hmm. or am I missing something and that quote is there for some other reason no um, I think that quote resonated with me a little bit more you know because it it, it sort of describes a lot of like the journey for me like getting here mm-hmm um, I think that I don't even remember who said that. I think it's like the founder uh, of Polaroid or something like that. That's uh, Eric Fromm. It's um German social psychologist. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. See, there you go. So I don't even remember who said it, but but I did. It stuck with me because I. I think I had a pro I have problems letting go of things sometimes. It's like it's almost like it's there as like a reminder to myself when I go to the portfolio and I look at it and I like I'm like I need to work on this today. <laughs> and then I read that quote and I'm like, "Yes, do this. Let go of your fear of failure. Let go of, you know, these things that we think are the bookends to what is creativity, right? Maybe there aren't any. And I don't know. I don't want to take it too far, but it, it really is about more or less like a message to myself. <laughs> and it's there because I, I hope that when someone comes to my website, they understand that they can sort of maybe check their sort of perception or idea of creativity at the door. Mm -hmm. and, and we'll take it from here. You know, like, Let's leave all that aside and let's just go for it. Let's do this crazy idea. Let's push the envelope. Let's do something that you haven't done before. So, I don't know. It's, it's selfishly, I think it's a little bit more for me, but hopefully my prospective clients have something 
you know, to take from it too. Mm-hmm. Do you find that your clients, if they approach you from seeing their, your work online, uh, come ready to, to embrace your creativity, to, to say, I, I like what you do and I, I want you to help me? It's um, in, in sort of a frustrating way, it's a little bit of both because I really want people to come to me feeling like they have, you know, total or near complete confidence in the quality of the work that I'm going to do and the professionalism there. And, and when you ask me to help you with something or to work on something together, that there's sort of a mutual respect and that, you know, you sort of let me do my job and I let you do yours and that's how we work together. Uh, obviously it's, you know, not always that way. Um, I think, you know, frustrating would be a good way to describe the approach that some have, which is let's, um, let's date for a period of time and you can do some projects. And if I like you, I like you. And if I don't, then too bad. And it's like, okay, okay, we can, we can try that. I wish, I wish we wouldn't sometimes, but it's a good way to, for both parties to sort of get to know each other and, um, feel out the relationship, see if like how you guys communicate. There's so many more aspects to it, right? Than just here's the final product. It's so much more complex and complicated than that. I, I wish it was that simple sometimes, but you know, it's how quickly do you respond to emails? And it's all these little things that really, it's like these nuanced things that sort of end up defining your relationship with that client. Um, but I will say that lately, I, I, f- I feel like they've been coming to me with a lot more confidence in m- my abilities and trusting what I say. But I think it's, it's uh, I've learned a lot too in the past year, past two years. I mean, I can't tell you how much it seems like I've learned just because I'm surrounded by really, really talented people and it just kind of bleeds off of them and I'm just here enjoying that. Um, but yeah, um, I think in my explaining my work, explaining my process, my thinking, um, helping them instead of instead of immediately identifying a bunch of problems right off the bat, you know, just throwing out solutions right away, things like that have helped change the way my clients work with me for the better. Um, so I just hope to kind of continue that. Wait, did you just say like throwing out solutions right off the bat helped? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's interesting. And your client and people respond well to that? Well, not, um, or is I mean, it... it's not, a, you know, it's not something, it's not applicable to every case, but, yeah. uh, a lot of times what I caught myself doing in sort of looking back was like, well, I'm so quick to be like, well, you don't have this, you know, you don't have hmm. a, you don't have uh, a logo that I can use. You don't have a this. You don't have yeah. image assets that I can pull from that are high res enough. I need you to do all these things now or we can't work together. Instead, it's like, hey, I, I noticed that we don't have a ton of images to work from, so I'm going to do this instead and, and immediately go to like a place where they feel like as sort of, I guess, the expert that they're going to for, you know, whatever, for a deliverable or consulting or anything that I am the one coming to them with answers. Mm -hmm. And so I just don't want to create more work for them right off the bat. And that has really helped 
like getting things moving and getting getting us going in the right direction like it's so important those first impressions are just so important it sort of like defines your entire relationship yeah that to me is like a really good way to explain it is and i feel like i went through a very similar period when i was especially doing freelance work is because you're doing that in your off time right and it's like seems so limited and i would always be like okay like i'm doing this like micro little piece of the, the thing and if they don't have whatever it is and i'm just gonna be like uh you should have this but coming in with that other mindset of saying like oh well let's like let's build these resources for you um is a much better way fortunately i never got to that point in my freelance work i don't do a whole lot of that but um like that's a really good way of explaining it that like transition in mindset is fantastic because people do look at you much differently Hmm. taking that dating analogy it's the you're bringing the flowers to to it or you're maybe opening the door there's just a a sense of um courtesy may not be an expectation anymore but I, i would certainly say it would be something if it wasn't there then it's the job of the desire to do that but i'm coming from a from an older school of of doing design and yeah and and I do want to say that's not like there are still red flags. <laughs> there, there are still things where I'm like, oh, let's pump the brakes here because this project, I can already tell, you know, and I think that's it is just experience. But yeah, there's not always a, a solution, unfortunately. So you keep in mind, like, I, I had to learn really like the hard way a couple times what those red flags were. And it's not like they're super clear, but you'll you figure it out. Especially the more freelance work you do, you you figure it out. Because getting burned a couple times is enough to make you remember. <laughs> uh, so looking at the Weber Shanwick website, I noticed that one of the things that you all really pride yourself on is storytelling. Um, that data tells a good story and so forth and was that something that you uh, find appealing i you know i thought that the storytelling thing was kind of um a little like gimmicky because it got just so overused everybody it was like the buzzword for a while everyone was just talking about story this you know create a narrative storytelling visual storytelling some people change their job titles to that and, and so I got a little bit, um, I, I don't know, sort of burnout on that idea. But if we, if we step back from it being a thing that marketers are selling into clients uh, and really talk about how different pieces all come together to create something that's more engaging is, is what's neat to me. Like nobody on our team here in the creative services team can operate in any kind of silo because it's so important that everyone's talking together and then you have your designers, copywriters, content strategists, planners, everybody, everybody is on the same page. And then we end up building together a really nice story through it, all the little things that kind of happen across the, you know, the course of the project. And I guess when I was applying here, it wasn't something that I, picked up on immediately I more wanted to meet the people I'd be working with that's that was a big thing I wanted to check out 
but Weber Shanwick's work is pretty is pretty neat. If you look at some of our case studies, we've done some really cool projects. So yeah. that was a huge draw. And and the and one thing we're talking about right now is that's really big agency wide is visual influence. So that's a, a big focus moving forward. That in uh, that in paid. So I saw one of your posts a couple of weeks ago, or maybe recently, more recent was about that all of the photographs, half of the photographs ever taken were taken in the last five years. Was, was that the, the, the statistic of the last two years, mm-hmm. um, which is mind-blowing, right. but also you know proves a uh, perhaps a valuable point of the importance of visual designers, of people that need to be good storytellers, that we're creating so much more content mm. these days. How, how else but someone like us, and I'm looking at the two of you um, and, and myself, if there were a mirror here, the three of us. <laughs> someone new right over there. Yeah, so I'm going to look myself in the mirror. Or, excuse me, I'm going to look myself in the window. Thinking about that, the importance of people like us that are able to decipher um, the content that's created, the data that's created. Well, part of it's creating meaning out of it, right? Like when it becomes in mass, it's just yeah. so much. Yeah. What does it all say at the end of the day? Yeah. And I think that's part of why storytelling really caught on as this thing is as soon as like this mass amount of data came in, you really had to start like narrowing it down into some sort of narrative to be able to ma- help people understand it it's so incomprehensible in mass you know yeah i think the storytelling as sort of the next gen content creation uh, idea was that we were going to start speaking to people in an emotional way and we wanted to connect with people a little bit more than just something that's in your face like it needed to have more significance and meaning to these people beyond you know just a a generic call to action it needed to be deeper and i think some of the coolest examples that i've seen going around are like long form content like really long (laughs) like i need to sit down for 20 minutes to get through this whole thing um with with imagery with um different visual assets in between um different ways of being able to experience the same story. So I can read a long essay about something or or I can go through an image gallery and being able to choose that, um, the way I sort of um, read the story. That to me is the era in which we're kind of entering where we're overwhelmed every single day with all these things. uh, And it's sort of how do we get through that to something meaningful and how do we create content that's really meaningful that affects us more than for an instant that you read it in the morning and you think about it in the afternoon because it hits you that hard or it it really like generated uh, I think what we're trying to get to is a reaction and then all of our data specialists go well, how do we quantify that? <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the long forms that you're... That you're reading right now. Yeah. Or you're into. Um, well, well, actually, I will, I will tell you one that I just read that was great. 
that I'm just thinking of now. It was uh, Tonga. There was a volcano that um, erupted underwater and created a landmass connecting two islands. I don't know if you saw the story. But photos, it's, it's remote. So photos emerged. And I read basically long form. It was sort of like, um, it was long form content because there was like a, a ton of images. And then each image had, you know, a little caption, but it was long form scrollable content. It wasn't just an image, three paragraphs, you know, AP style uh, writing. What, what, and, and even just the ordering of the images, telling a story with the ordering of the images was important, right? And so I could just appreciate that this was explained in a different way. Like this event was told to me in a different way than what we're normally used to looking at. And like it stuck with me. I can tell you about it right now. And of the 20 things I read on Friday, that's the only one I remember. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, that I think will be a conversation we keep having as creative people, as designers um, for the next couple of years because like you said there's there's almost too much content there is so much content and now we are all content creators you know that photography statistic is incredibly important to keep remembering because just we're creating mass and mass amounts of content so it's a uh, it's kind of overwhelming to think about but it is so important to keep in the back of our minds as we as we work. Speaking of photographs. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me. And, and where did you see the, um, the article, this long form article on a website or was it through your social media feed? I found the story, uh, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly on like TechCrunch, Wired and Mashable. Um, Medium is a really cool, if you talk about long form content, like Medium is doing it and it seems like they're a growing blog publishing platform so isn't medium owned by twitter i don't, I don't know because sure. to me like, i'm pretty sure it is and that to me like is this interesting concept of like all these tiny like the shortest bits like bites that you can imagine and then like another plot maybe it was founded by people from twitter but and then contrasting that with like really long pieces in this I'd, like different idea of what like a blogging platform could look like, uh, it's really yeah interesting. In terms of long form stuff, like a lot of the things you were describing, it seemed like the New York Times's Snowfall article was really like a pivot point for how like um, well in that case journalism, but you know I think it bled into a lot of other areas into how information could be presented in a longer form. Um, to really make it more meaningful, mm -hmm. how do you how do you balance like the over overburdening like small bites that we get, everything from notifications to messages to this and that to help us remember things again? Mm -hmm. There's an another one that's out that I've heard some students talk about called the Great Discontent. I see both of you nodding as if this is I'm a commonplace. Oh man, I wanted to be a Kickstarter backer. I, I only just ordered issue two, like the print form. Yeah, oh. Have you have you heard of mm -hmm. Bridge? Yeah. So I I have been hearing students talk about it, paid no attention, and it came across somewhere, the story of the Kickstarter, 
And so I started reading about it. And I'm like, oh, I, I would love this. This would be great. And the Great Discontent is such a great example of going against the grain because those interviews are really long and they really don't edit them that much at all and then like their kickstarter for example like they wanted to produce like this issue and that thing is like 200 pages long you get it in the mail and it's like over an inch thick and it's just and it's got like 10 12 interviews in it it's just like (laughs) insane but it's so encapsulating like when you're reading it it's just like you're there and you're able to talk to those people and then they have that such a great balance between talking about really well-known people and less well-known people and yeah long form content (laughs) do you consider this to be a form of long form content yeah i i think absolutely I mean, when you said what is the, when you originally asked me what was some of the long-form content you've seen recently, I was like, oh my gosh, just podcasts. All I do is listen to podcasts. <laughs> and I, I don't and know. I, I would, like, I would I say like, that. Does that, that count? And I was yeah. thinking about it. And I was like, that definitely counts. <laughs> I should have said that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll just add that in at the end. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> It'll be like, yeah, da, 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 and podcast. Yeah, I love comedy podcasts. Uh, I got obsessed with serial like a ton of people did too, and what the best part about long form content and podcasts is talking about it. I love talking about stuff after that, you know, with people and you talk about this, you know, what the buzzword for what 2012, 2013 was snackable content. <laughs> and it was like, do you remember snackable being like a thing? Like we're going to make some snackable stuff. I just, I, nobody talked about it. We didn't talk about anything. We just sit there and be like things and just like drones. But when, when you get to really, dive into um, a series or a long episode on a, <laughs> of Comedy Bang Bang even. You can, you can have conversations about it later. And that right there is what's important. Right? Yeah. Uh, and and I, I feel like I missed that for a few years. You know? Yeah. Not, the, not that I wasn't having conversations with people. But, yeah. I mean, uh, you, can, you can even like link that back to like Netflix and binge watching, like the idea of like whole series coming out like at one time. It's like mm-hmm. that same notion of like really, because then you're just thinking of like the TV season as a whole, like long form thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know? I want to come back to actually uh, ask you about the YouTube. Uh, idea that you had, that, you know, YouTube as a as a form of an educational tool, um, or as a advice giving tool, whether it be in your capacity as a designer or as a content creator, visual storyteller, wh- whatever moniker you want to put onto it. Do you see yourself as someone who is educating people through social media forms? You know, I I don't. Uh, I wish. I was, I think one goal that I have as I kind of get older here is like, I want to be a little bit more transparent about maybe like my process and like what I'm working on, what I'm doing. And in that form, be sort of sharing and being a resource. But right now it's just, I don't really feel that way. Um, I wouldn't identify as that. Uh, but. It's definitely like kind of a goal that I have would be to, because all of where all this training, all the education, design education that I have, where it comes from, uh, you know, I'd like to, <laughs> it sounds again, like a little cheesy, but to give back, to do something 
in the same way that the other people have sort of offered up their guidance for no charge. You know, I'd love to do that. I've, I've always wanted to have tutorials on my website. I've always wanted to host resources for free, no charge, no ask for a donation. Just check it out. Take it. You know, you did this for me. I'm doing this for you. Like it's a cool, it's a cool community of people out there who are willing to build these assets and give them away for free or willing to share their advice and give it away for free. Like I really, really respect that. Um, I had a tutorial on three, a 3D typography at one point and uh, like lighting effects that I thought was fun. Uh, but that came down off the portfolio pretty quick. Do you think that that stems from your um, original position with um – with the nonprofits that you have a sense of duty to community and to society. Yeah. I, it definitely stems from that. Um, I miss that aspect of my work. I miss feeling that way, you know, about being, you know, everybody wants to feel like a contributor and, you know, sort of innately. Um, and so, yeah, I, I totally think that's where it comes from, but in the same vein, like, I, I just do really genuinely like respect the people that are willing to create a brush set in Photoshop and just give it to me. Say, here, use this. It's awesome. I made a bunch of clouds, and you can use them all. Like, I'm like, that's so nice of you. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess um, kind of like a pay-it-forward philosophy. Um, that's, that's where my head's at, I think. I mean, we've talked a lot about learning today in a variety of different ways, learning and talking about things. And just thinking back to where I was, I'm always curious asking people, like, what's what's something you wish you would have learned sooner? Like, you look, like, you just, you always look back and you're like, ah, if only I would have known then what I know now. Like, what's one thing, like, you feel to your, like, would have been very advantageous to have learned sooner? Yeah, that, that's a really good question to ask. (laughs) Um... I wish, I think more higher level, I wish I would have learned to just work, just make, do. Like, shut up and go do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the best example I can think of is my portfolio. Um, it's always been sort of this sore spot. And like all my, even like, because I think of my portfolio as a body of work, you know, or as, as, as a piece of work. I'm like, I made all these things, I made my portfolio, and then I made all these other things. And I I really wish I had just worked on it. I just wish I had just kept going on it and just kept crunching through it, even when it was hard, even when it didn't feel quite right. Like, just keep going. Sometimes it just works itself out. Sometimes you see the answer after failing a bunch of times. And I, you know, we talk, we talk about that a lot too. Like, like your clients pay you for, they, they pay you for that one design, but they don't see the 10 times you failed before it. I don't, someone said that, I forget who. Um, but I wish, I, I wish someone would have just said, stop planning out your work so much. Stop thinking about it so much that it hinders your progress. That it, and, and I'm talking more broadly, because obviously you want to be very thoughtful in what you do. But, um, yeah, the portfolio is a good example of that, where it was just like, I wish I had not, uh, you know, sat there with my, you know, my head in my lap going, oh, I just hate the way this turned out, and just kind of kept going. 
kept trying. Um, I stopped and like critiqued myself a little too hard. It would have been more important to just make, to just keep creating. It's so essential. The most successful people that I see doing what what we do, or you know, any creative person, they're just constantly doing. Constantly, if they're a photographer, they're constantly taking pictures. Not every picture is great, obviously. Even some mm -hmm. of the ones they post, and of the thousands of photos that they took, they post ten, and maybe only of the ten, only one of them is good. But the fact that they took a thousand photos is what's the coolest thing to me. Um, and and I follow a lot of uh, tattooers on Instagram. Uh, mostly, that's like my main social channel. And what the coolest thing is about the tattoo industry to me is these guys, they, it's, they, they work at it. The, the ones that seem to be making the most progress, that seem to be uh, becoming more and more successful, more well-known, you know, I guess it depends how you define success, but the ones that I see um, making it are the ones who keep sketching, who keep working, who keep, you know, they're like up late tonight, sketching again. You, you look at their thing and they're just post after post of all these different pieces of work. And you're just blown away by the amount, by their dedication. They didn't stop and scratch their head over one sketch. They just did it. And then they moved on to the next one. They did it and they moved on to the next one. That is really, really important to me. Something I wish someone would have said right from the get-go. Like, every, not, they're not all going to be winners. But just keep working. Just keep going. Don't get upset. I mean, it's, it's a mentor. I mean, whatever form that takes for you, right? Um, and that kind of goes back, I think, to what I was saying about uh, not having, like, a peer circle, a peer group. Uh, my peer group was an environmental group, and it was, like, an interdisciplinary degree. So everybody in that was doing their own thing. Uh, w once I got really focused into graphic design, I had other talented designers sitting next to me. And I could be like, I am so stuck on this. And they would be like, this is really good. This is really good. This isn't working. Like, work on this. Focus here on the good stuff. You know, and I was like, oh, okay, you're right. You're right. You're totally right. And, man, I can't tell you the, the world of difference like that made for me personally favorite word to describe this type of person is accountability <laughs> somebody you can pass on what you'd like to be uh, held accountable for and give them full reign to <laughs> hold you account accountability that's what chat <laughs> is to me <laughs> <laughs> totally that's great that's like that's like my favorite word right now too somebody just mentioned that in my friend group about accountability buddy we were like going out <laughs> and they were like hey birthday boys he needs an accountability buddy because <laughs> it's his birthday um, do you have any questions for us I I was curious about just and maybe you've answered this I haven't listened to everything um, yeah but why, why do this like what what did you feel was just like what was missing what was the problem that needed to be solved? Because like, I feel like you must have had something that was like, man, we have a lot of kids asking us about what the workforce is like out there. What, what are people doing? How do you get to where you are? We need to do a podcast. And you were like, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> uh, well, I think there's, I mean, it's, it's a multi-layered response, right? Because there's reasons why, like, 
uh, each of us wanted to do this like personally. And then there's, I think, reasons why we did the type of podcast that we're doing. Um, I think, I mean, JP kind of came to me and um, he felt like he hadn't been doing it. I'm going to speak for you. By all means. <laughs> you do it so much better than I do. Uh, I mean, JP came to me and since I, I'm, a, I'm a former student of his and oftentimes we've kind of struggled together through feeling like we haven't been creative enough outside of what we normally do. Um, and then it's kind of this realization of creativity can come in many forms and it doesn't always have to come out of as a poster or something like that. And, um, JP came to me and he's just like, yeah, I'm like really into podcasts right now. Like, you know, and I'm like, well, JP, like, why don't, why don't you do one (laughs) type thing? And, uh, we've all always liked the idea of, you know, kind of working or doing projects together, things like that. Um, but I think our response with this podcast in particular is largely because, um, like when you're a young designer, right, all the content that's out there on designers are always about like the really amazing, well-known people who've made like huge names for themselves. Right. And so you think of like a podcast like that as, you know, uh, Debbie Milliman's design matters. Right. And where she interviews, you know, like you know, the Massimo Vignelli's and the Michael Beirut's and the, you know, all mm-hmm. those people. But then when you're a young designer, you're thinking like, there's, how do you, how do you get to that place? You know, like you always want to get there, but it's so hard, but really you think about it and it's like, well, those people must've been in my shoes at some point in their lives. And sometimes they talk about it and sometimes they don't, but this idea of like, well, why not try and capture those people in the process of becoming those people Mm -hmm. right yeah um and really like talk about those things of like well how are these people like on their way of getting there and how can that be helpful knowing that really it's like a step-by-step process you know um stefan stagmeister didn't come become stefan sagmeister overnight you know um so i think that's why the topic is interesting kind of like that void that seemed like it needed filling mm-hmm. yeah and I, I I guess I I really appreciate that you guys have have also interviewed you know people like myself who didn't come out of design school because that is such an important um, encouraging thing for people like myself to hear you know you know, from someone who they identify with. Um, I think there's a, we talk about the struggling part and I think that there might be these people sort of on that tipping point of like, you know, I've done a couple projects, I really like it, but I have a sociology degree and I don't know what I'm doing and how do I become an actual designer rather than just doing uh, wedding invitations for my sister? You know, like there's, they're like, they're like at this point where like maybe they're just amazing at what they do and they just need a little bit more to to you know get them out the door um so i think that that's really cool that you guys have shown you know different sides different people's stories okay uh so ryan we're curious who who do you think we should interview next megan bailey and she is um 
she was uh, my boss at Cascade Designs, and she was uh, the graphic designer on the same team that I was. She's a, she was a senior designer. She is just really, really tremendous in sort of her, her attention to detail. Like, it always blew my mind, like, what she was able to do that I kind of maybe wouldn't have thought of or wouldn't have investigated quite as closely. So I was always really impressed. And she's also amazing with colors. And I, that's kind of probably one of my like weaker spots, I would say. Um, something I just not necessarily like just hadn't focused on. So she was like, like at work, she was like the color guru. And I thought it was so cool because we had a bunch of really talented designers, like people from RISD and stuff. And it was like, she was still like the color person. I was like, oh, that's so cool. I want to be like a person someday. Like I want to be that guy. <laughs> and so, yeah. So she would be, I think, someone really cool to talk to. And she's just a awesome outdoor enthusiast, awesome person. We're still friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what is that one question that we should start our conversation with her? Why are you the color guru? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you very much for speaking with us today, Ryan. We really appreciate it. And um, um, I think what I would like to do is I'd like to actually actually leave you with the kind of the last word. What is it that you should tell the listenership, these people that we're hoping to, to reach, and uh, give them that one line of encouragement? What is it, what is it that you should leave them with? Um, I'm just going to speak, you know, based on what keeps me going, because we get into ruts, right? We get into a creative rut, start digging that hole it's a dark place sometimes you get a frustrating client a frustrating project a problem you can't solve or you're having a really hard time solving um and those are those moments to me that define whether or not you can handle this you can do this and so when you have that breakthrough like and and you get over it you move on you solve a problem whatever it is like focus on that remember that like put that in the front of your mind all the time and use that as your encouragement like for me specifically it's my learning moments because that's what i get excited about like uh, i basically you know learn how to do animated you know gifts to do ui stuff for mobile ui or for whatever it is you know, so like learning all the things to do in After Effects in a day, building that little animated thing that I built and being like, hey, check this out. Like I just did this today. It only took me two hours. I learned it all. I never opened After Effects before. And like really focusing on that excites me. It keeps me going. Um, I, I get all worked up over it because like, and I need to because there's hard days. There's days where things went very wrong and there's days where you're frustrated with somebody else um, or you're frustrated with a project. And so, I, yeah, that's sort of my final word is focus, focus on your learning, focus on those little moments where you overcame or you did it because otherwise, yeah, it's, it's, it can be hard. Wonderful. Brilliant. Brilliant.